The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We're joined by two musicians songwriter, pianist, and vocalist Jack Phillips, and guitarist and songwriter Caleb Quay. They're going to be talking about their musical collaboration and friendship. And the album, Down in the Jungle Room, by Jack Phillips, which is a blues rock album. I'm pleased that you're both joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having us. It's my pleasure. So, I want to, from each of you, uh, we'll start with with Jack. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, just kind of a, a little summary of your origins. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Fresno, California. In fact, my family, after the Civil War, moved out to California from the South. And my earliest uh, Phillips relatives arrived in the Fresno area in 1868. And I left Fresno after college, but my father recently passed away in 2015, ending a 147-year run of uh, Phillips' family in Fresno. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I was born there, my father was born there, and his father was born there, and so we have deep roots in Fresno. And Caleb Quay. Yes, sir. Tell us a little bit about your origins. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I was actually born in London, England, United Kingdom, uh, many, many years ago. I moved to the U.S. in 1974 and have lived here ever since, became a U.S. citizen, etc. I'm married, have three daughters, two grandchildren, and musically, my roots, I guess, my history is most closely associated with Elton John as being his original lead guitar player and his first producer, the guy that got him signed to Dick James Music. And the guy the guy that helped change his name from Reg Dwight to Elton John. And I think it's interesting, the first time I interviewed you, Jack, Jack Phillips, you mentioned that the first album that you bought, I remember you said it was an Elton John album. Well, that's correct. It was the... Uh... It was the greatest hits record that came out in 1974, and I bought it in 1975. And the very second album I ever bought was just a few weeks later. It was called Captain Fantastic, which is the story of Elton and Bernie Taupin forming a songwriting collaboration. And Caleb plays a big part in that story. So, uh, you know, my affinity for Caleb goes goes way back to my childhood. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how you two came to know one another. Well, let me let me start that and then Caleb can take over. I I was asked by somebody who was working with Caleb on writing a book. And the book that Caleb can talk about is called a voice louder than rock and roll. And I was not really an editor, but I was, I was asked simply to, to read through it and see if I saw anything that didn't make sense in terms of timeline or history or whatever. And, and so, so my first connection really was, you know, having been asked to preview and read through his book. And then, um, I don't know when it was, but a number of years later, 
I got in touch with Caleb and found it because I'd found an old photograph online somewhere and uh, sent it to him. And, and that began a little correspondence. And um, eventually when I started thinking about who would be the, the ideal person to play guitars on this blues album that I had in mind, you know, Caleb was my, my first choice and uh, lo and behold, he was willing to do it. And Caleb? Yeah, I think uh, most probably we have Facebook to blame for this. <laughs> uh, I think, I think, um, yeah, that's where I first kind of met John through media was most probably Facebook. And then he came out here and we met for coffee for breakfast in some place in Burbank, I think it was, when he started to tell me about the project. And um, and I think it was maybe the following year. I'm trying to remember, John, what year we recorded the Banana, the the Jungle Room. Yeah, in yeah. fact, that's that's where the name came from. We we recorded at the Jungle Room Studios, and I think it was uh, technically in Glendale, but it was right there on the edge of Burbank. Yeah, uh, yeah. and we we went out, we went out for breakfast and got to know each other a little bit, and then we went straight to the studio. And four hours later. Caleb had added guitars to four or five pieces. Yeah. It was a fun, fun session. Yeah. Caleb, what did you think of the songs? You know, I thought they were interesting. I could see, obviously, having gotten to know John a little bit, and, and so I could see, you know, the um, Elton John music influence in his music. So that was interesting. So I thought, yeah, this would be fun to to um, contribute to this, you know. And and I see John as something of, um, I think John is something of a historian, especially as he speaks about his own family roots and everything. So John seems to have a, a keen um, eye on history and, and American roots and stuff. And uh, so that was that was always that was appealing as well in terms of content to lend my abilities to. So I enjoy that kind of thing. So there was, I think there was a song speaking about Mississippi. I can't remember the titles of, of the things now, but so he was drawing on some Southern influences, which uh, if you're familiar with the Tumbleweed Connection album from Elton John, that's what Elton and Bernie were doing as well. Uh, we all were both lyrically and musically. We're drawing on a lot of American Southern gospel blues, musical influences. So that's always been something, um, an area of musicology that's always appealed to me. That's right. And, yeah, the album is kind of split between studio work and a, and a live session in New York, which Caleb came out for. And during the live session, we recorded a number of pieces I wrote that were kind of inspired by my great-grandfather, William Walker Phillips, who came out from Mississippi. Well, I... I wrote songs about Vicksburg. That's it, yeah. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. and Yaz yeah. Yazoo City, where he grew up, and, you know, about the, the big steamships on the Mississippi River, and, and, and those kind of themes, just sort of loosely based on reading about his life. And I wanted to ask in particular about one of the songs that you all share writing credit on, and I'm talking about the, the title, down in the jungle room. Tell us about that one. That was fun. That was the that's the last track. That's the instrumental track, and 
we had a little extra studio time that day in Burbank, Caleb, remember? And, oh, yeah. yeah, and it was just a kind of almost a jam session. We just, you know, I kind of found a little chord progression, and we looped that around with the drum machine, <laughs> and then Caleb Caleb added a number of guitars on top of that. My bass player, Matt Scherfglass, did the bass line. Uh, it, you know, this is the age of the internet, so I simply sent him an audio file. And he sent me back a stereo bass track, <laughs> which we, we added to. And then uh, that it all got mixed in the studio. We, we added a few other little keyboards to it and so forth. And, uh, you know, it's just a fun little piece of music. I, I, how do you remember it, uh, Caleb? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember the jam. You know, as, a, it, it, as you say, the age of the Internet is very interesting now when it comes to making music, recording music. It's all fragmented. You know, it's a part done here in L.A., then a part done in New York, a bass part, bass part done 3,000 miles away. So when you when we were actually doing it, you don't really get the full context of what's going on, you know, until you hear it all finished later on. You know, so um, I was really impressed with the final mixes and uh, the whole production. I can't remember the engineer's name that you used to do it, but I thought he did an outstanding job. When I when I well, that was back, yeah, that was Billy Moss. Billy uh -huh. Moss was an he was an engineer at the old Nola Studios in New York City. Okay, where I recorded where I recorded my you know Cafe Nights in New York album that was located on Fifty Seventh Street at the top of the Steinway Building. But the demise of Nola. Billy works uh, mostly out of uh, Flux Studios down the Lower East Side. Mm. And, yes, he's got, you know, deep experience in mixing. But more importantly, he did an incredible job with the mastering. Um, did the mastering? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Because I, you know, I when I made my pop album called To Whom It May Concern, you know, I flew up to Portland, Maine, and, and worked with Bob Ludwig up there for a day to get him to master that album. Uh -huh. And that that you know, it, that transformed my little pop album from something that you know had, had was kind of weak to something that sounded very strong. Yeah. And so I yeah. gave I gave that album to Billy as a as a reference, and I, I don't know how he did it, but I think he mm -hmm. must have looked at looked in a oscilloscope or something and figured out you know, yeah. you know uh, yeah. a, as a reference on how how he how I wanted the Jungle Room album to sound. So yeah. anyway, I was I couldn't have been more pleased either. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, when I played it, it came flying out of my speakers. I went, wow, this is, this is something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Paul, I, I don't know if you know, Paul, but if you ever listen to the opening opening track of uh, Tumbleweed Connection by Elton John, that's that's Caleb's guitar line right at the beginning of that album. And it's uh, and that, that, that actually influenced something else, didn't it, Caleb? Yeah, it didn't influenced... Ed King, who was the guitar player with Leonard Skinnerd, to write the song Sweet Home Alabama. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I want to back up just a little bit. You all were talking about NOLA Recording Studios, and you want to talk about a place where some very, very incredible recordings came from. And I know that... Uh, Jim is no longer with us, but I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about working there. Well, sure. First of all, 
one of the great things that it had was Errol Garner's piano. I think I told you that before. I don't remember the circumstances, but Errol Garner came in to record there. He brought in his big, beautiful Steinway and then just never collected it. So, so we were all the beneficiaries of that, that great piano. So, you know, the piano that I play on the studio portions of Down in the Jungle Room, that was on Errol Garner's piano. Oh, um, everything on my, yeah, everything, everything on my Cafe Nights in New York album was recorded on Errol Garner's piano. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, there's, I was in the studio with, uh, Connell Fouts when, and Eddie Davis when they recorded a couple of pieces for, uh, Midnight in Paris that were recorded at that studio. The other stuff was recorded at the old Clinton studio, which also was gone. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of music from Woody Allen's films are recorded there. And of course, Pete jazz aficionados like Jonathan Schwartz used to come in and talk to, talk to Jim. And, uh, so it was like quite a happening place. And I think, um, a very big, long, deep history of, you know, who has recorded there. And I, I think maybe it would be worth your while to have a conversation with Billy Moss as well, because he could tell you everything you would ever want to know about that studio, I'm sure. Great suggestion. Absolutely. Is there a track that resonates the most with you? Um, well, the, the glue that holds it together for me is, is the song I Love New York. And what I need to explain is that my original concept was to create a both kind of a blues and sophisticated jazz album as one album. And Eddie Davis thought that was a crazy idea that it, you'd have half half your audience not liking the other half of the album. And so he said, really, you should split this out up. So, so what, what I originally intended to do was maybe have three or four jazz pieces. And we ended up doing 10 for the album. And I, and I originally had an idea of doing three or four blues pieces, you know, and we ended up doing 10 as well. So, so in other words, the, the thing about the cafe nights album was that it was about, you know, the sophistication that I like of New York city. And, you know, if you look at Down the Jungle Room as sort of like a prequel to the other album, then the glue that holds it all together is the song I Love New York, because it's really kind of about, you know, in a way you can look at the whole, whole thing as, I mean, the, the two albums together is kind of a story of, you know, can't, can't not being able to wait to get out of a small town and having memories of a small town, coming to New York and, you know, loving everything about New York. So that, that's kind of the the story that kind of in my mind, you know, that is encompassed by the two albums together. So I guess I would have to say the first track, I Love New York, is the one that probably makes the most, has the most resonance with me. Given that you two have worked together on this project, I want to ask each of you, what do you think is the most important thing in another person in terms of a collaboration, what do you look for in another artist when you work together? Well, for me, my part in this would be considered, I think, a supportive role. So I'm looking for content and then context because uh, you're always, it's always about serving the context. I have to know what the context is. So there's, you know, there's, there's from a lyrical standpoint, 
there's a certain amount of history and reflection, historical reflection in this particular project. And along with that, there is an accompanying musicology that you want to try and be faithful to. So that's what I, that's, that's what I was looking at. Yeah. And I, for me, you know, I, I, I tend to keep using the same people over and over that I like because, you know, I, I like to form relationships with people and I, and I, you know, Caleb is such a wonderfully warm hearted, generous, nurturing person that, you know, it's just, it was just such a joy to work with him. And I, you know, I really value the the friendship I have with him. And so, uh, I guess, you know, I am a people person. I like, I like people. And, you know, aside from the fact that Caleb is probably considered one of the greatest guitarists in the world aside from that you know he's just a he's just a really great guy to work with thank you sir you heard you heard you heard the story that david letterman was once asked by eric clapton uh, or pardon me it was the other way around david letterman asked eric clapton what's it like being known as the world's greatest guitar player and his response was well I'm not the world's greatest guitar player. Caleb Quay is. <laughs> <laughs> How did that make you feel, Caleb? Uh, you, you know, it's just mind blowing. Um, uh, I was when I heard about that, uh, I was absolutely shocked and very humbled. I've known Eric since, gosh, where we first met back in like 1967 when he was with the Cream. And um, the band I was playing in with with Elton John, who was Reg Dwight back then, a band called Bluesology, we used to open shows for the Cream. So we, Eric and I, had this kind of mutual admiration society going on backstage because we were listening to each other's licks, you know. So he would say to me, you know, oh yeah, I really like the way you played that and this and that, you know, vice versa. So I was shocked, you know, years later, you know, because this was around 2000 when he said this, that, that he said that. So I just, you know, very humbled by it and thankful because really this, <laughs> I, I know of a whole bunch of guitar players that are far better than me in my estimation. So, <laughs> so uh, it was just, it was a lovely thing for him to say. I'm curious to know what each of you thinks about Elton John's recent decision that he's going to retire from touring. Well, I'll let you go first on that, uh, John. <laughs> well, goodness, I, I've I've seen uh, seen him. I don't know how live. I've probably seen him uh, maybe ten times over the last thirty, forty years, or whatever it's been. And I've seen him enough times. So actually, I, I got to meet him last year. That was kind of a thrill. I mean, just for a just for a brief moment, I got to meet him. I've seen him in concert a number of times. So, it, as far as a final tour, I mean, I guess it was it was bound to happen at some point. I know all those hit songs, so I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to going out and hearing Crocodile Rock another time. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I think that it's a good thing he's got a family now. Uh, maybe maybe he'll he'll uh, concentrate on writing some great new music and uh, do other things. Uh, it was bound to happen at some point. He's, what, 71 now? So about time, I suppose. I agree. It's time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's time. Caleb, 
Caleb, I think I think uh, for context, I think you should talk a little bit about your work at, at uh, Dick James Music Publishing and uh, with reference to the music coming out of Abbey Road and so forth. Um, well, uh, let me see. Well, a lot of that is actually in um, my movie that we're, we're just finishing up right now. There's a documentary being made on my life. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I was there when Elton came to audition for Dick James Music so there's a whole story there, and I was the one that he had to audition for. Um, and I was, we were, we were kids at the time. I've known Elton since I was 15, he was 16. So, uh, he's about 18 months older than me. So, uh, yeah, he's most probably or about to turn 71, and I turned 70 in October. Yeah, his birthday is, I think, is in May. And, um, so we're, we're old folks now. We're senior citizens. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as George Harrison once said, all things must pass. So <laughs> here we are, the curtain's coming down on my generation. The curtain's coming down. So it's time. And, yeah, he has a family, so he needs to get off the road, you know. And um, which doesn't mean that he, he has to stop making music, but the whole touring thing, I mean, goodness gracious me. That's, you know, comes a time when you just have to have to pack that in. Um, but those days were great days. You know, we were teenagers that dreamed together. You know, we were very close friends. And um, I, gave, I used to give him and Bernie uh, illicit studio, free studio time at Dick James Music until Dick James found out about that and hit the roof. And uh, there was a thing called the the Dick James Purge. So I was letting in, letting in all these songwriters who wanted to, who were begging me to give them studio time to do a demo because they wanted to sign up with Dick James Music, which was the biggest music publishing company at the time because they were the Beatles music publishing company. So this was, you know, 19, you know, I was running the studio in 1966 you know, I told Dick, I said, you know, okay, Dick said, throw them all out. You know, they're not paying any money, throw them all out. I said, well, there's one, one, one artist that I think you might want to listen to. His name's Reg Dwight. Okay, bring me the tapes, you know. So I played him the tapes. He said, yeah, they, yeah, they, this is pretty good. Okay, we'll sign him up. So, you know, I put my job on the line so that he could get signed up, and he did. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Wow, great stories. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, you know. I used to get to hear the Beatles' masters. I was the first person outside of Abbey Road, most probably, to hear them because they, once they were done, they would use George Martin used to send the copies over to Dick James Music to make copies, master copies for publishing, for the publishers. And so I had to make those copies under security at night. So I got to hear, you know, it would be from, um, I was there from Help through to the White Album. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what Caleb is saying is that, you know, outside of the studio, he was the first person to hear those albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all my friends are going, what are you doing? I'm saying, I can't let you in. <laughs> <laughs> 
what does he sound like? Oh, I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crazy times. Do you all see working together on another project at some point? I would if Joan wants to, yeah. Once Joan wants to come out here, that's that's fine. Yeah, Just don't have me come to New York in the wintertime. That's all. <laughs> I'm, a West Coast, I'm a West Coast boy. I like the sunshine in my old age, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but I really enjoyed, uh, John flew me out to New York, was it last year now, I think? About a year ago, maybe even two years ago. To do um, just for one day, one day I flew out there, did a rehearsal, and we did a live gig at a club in the village, and that was a lot of fun. I think there's there's some clips on YouTube about that. That was a lot of fun. And, and that's it's some of the some of the pieces from that live show are on the album. That's the the in other words, the album's half half live and half studio. So oh, some uh -huh. so, yeah, yeah. Wow. And what was the name of the club? John knows it. We played at the Duplex. It's called the Duplex that's, that's down in the village. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank, thank. I wanted to kind of give you all the stage, so to speak, and let you go wherever you want to kind of take the microphone. What would you say to our listening audience? Well, I'll, say, I'll, I'll start off and say the same thing I said to you last time, which is uh, support live music. It's, it's still one of the greatest forms of entertainment. It's economical to go hear people play live. They need your support, and they deserve support. So, and there's so much of it, and there's so much variety. And so uh, I think, you know, supporting musicians and going out to hear people play live is, is worthwhile and important. I echo that sentiment wholeheartedly. You know, out here, I have a, a little jazz group and we do a monthly gig in a, uh, it's a, it's a restaurant bar kind of a thing. It's called the Lincoln House Bar and Grill. And it's so refreshing, especially in these, you know, in these times of high tech and sound systems and in-ear monitors and stuff like that. We go there, there's very little sound system. We take our own amps, there's no monitors. I have one microphone to chit-chat to the audience, and the rest we just set up and play, and it is totally analog music, and it is so much fun, so refreshing. The audience, it's a win-win situation, it's great. The room sounds great, we play to the room. And um, there's none of it. There's not even a sound man there. We don't have to deal with any of that, you know. So it's like a band setting up for re it's like a live rehearsal in, in that sense, you know. It is so organic. We balance ourselves, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is like it was when I first started. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you one evening, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show up. Dude. I'm going to show up sometime. You should. You love it. You love it. Yeah, the food's great. It's a great place, and it's small. It sounds great. You know, same kind of a vibe as like at the duplex. Only we don't even have a sound system. It's it's just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. As I say, there's nothing like real, you know, live, organic, live analog music where you're moving air. You know, there's something about that that's just so fresh. Absolutely, absolutely. So for the listeners out there. 
tell us a little bit about how they may be able to connect with you, gentlemen. Well, I'm on Facebook. You can get to me on Facebook, Caleb Quay, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, and anybody can write to me at jackphillipsnyc at gmail.com. You said jackphillipsnyc at gmail.com. That's correct. And the album Down in the Jungle Room, it's also available on, on iTunes. So anyone can look at that and some of the other albums that you've done. Again, gentlemen, thank you very much. You're welcome. All Thanks right. so much for having us. My pleasure. Until next time. And now, a special presentation on the Paul Leslie Hour, an unreleased live recording from the Triad in New York City. This is Jack Phillips performing his song, I Love New York. Say if you can make it here They say if you can last They say if you can stand it here You're never going back For I come from Mississippi For my place on the great wide way And I brought with me my stories And I think I'm home to stay for it's Broadway bound for the lost and found Lights will guide my way I've been down this road before But now there's something to say And it's wonderful and magical And everything you've heard New York is my kind of town That I'm undeterred I love New So I gather my tomorrows In case anyone should ask Gather my recollections And put away my past Cause I come from Mississippi For my place on the great white way And I brought with me my stories And I think I'm home to stay for it's Broadway bound for the lost and found Lights will guide my way I've been down this road before But now there's something to say And it's wonderful and magical And everything you've heard New York is my kind of town For that I'm undertaking I love New It's wonderful and magical 
Yeah. 